0: Rockheads, quit trying to teach your parrot the lines from zero-wing and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 255 with guest Miguel de Acaza, recorded live Tuesday, June 26, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter by bringing world-class .NET and SharePoint training on-site for your team. Online at www.franklins.net And by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com Support is also provided by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who really thinks it should be called Stereo, Carl Franklin.
1: Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. We're here again, Carl and Richard, at your
2: service. Yes, we are. What's up, Richard? You know, I'm just sucking down the summertime. I cannot complain too much. Things are good. It's your birthday today, on this day of this recording. Yes, and uh, I guess the day of publication should be the day after my birthday. So now I'm 40. It's hard to imagine, but it's true. Um You know what I found out? things
1: i've learned this week i've learned that um, they they have a problem letting me ship a
2: box of depends across the border oh very nice yeah i thought you'd like that <laughs> all i know is you're doing a bit from the wrong show <laughs> yeah no problem with geritol but they drew the line at depends ah, i see so and insure but- insure wasn't wasn't also Those are weapons of mass destruction. You can't send them across the border. Yeah, that's it. Or is it It, weapons of mass digestion? I don't know. I
1: think, yeah. The problem is the tax is too high, you know, (laughs) for mere mortals. Well, Richard, let's get right into it with Better Know Framework. All right. No, no, that is the same music we had. Yeah, I thought you were going to fix that last week. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to turn into like Mark Miller's theme song. We're going to just tease people that we have new music and never do Never going to fix it. All right. Well, today's class is System. Globalization. Gregorian Calendar. Oh boy, we get to talk calendar systems because you know how much I love dates. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but prog- as a programmer, dates and date math is like the worst. I like hate that stuff. I you know well, mean,
2: and there's no excuse
1: for doing it because there's software for all of that already. That's right. That's right. So one of the coolest things I like about the Gregorian calendar, which, by the way, is sort of like, you know, the date time calendar stuff, but on steroids. You basically start with a date and then you can add or subtract by using negative values, days, hours, minutes, months, seconds, weeks, years, and get this, milliseconds. Nice. Yeah, it has millisecond. And I guess, you know, hey, we're working with date time here, so why not? Down to the millisecond. Right. So what's really cool is you can uh, get the day of the month, the day of the week, the days in the month, the days in the year. There's stuff for leap year. Uh, get leap month. Get millisecond. So it's just like a... You know, it, it take, we'll take the date add function of Visual Basic and just turn it on its head. Really good stuff. Really get serious about it. And one of the interesting things about the Gregorian calendar is eras. You know, it, it works with both BC and AD eras. So if you're doing math that brings you to a date BC, uh, it can deal with that. Just very cool. You know, kind of a complete little calendar date math utility. System
2: calendar name and Gregorian calendar of course name for Pope Gregory the Thirteenth and all the fun you can have around that. See,
1: folks, if you just hang out with Richard, uh, sooner or later you're going to get smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just had to fix the Julian calendar; it was slipping. That's
2: what, so. This came after the Julian calendar, the Gregorian calendar. That's right. Yes, because the, the Julian calendar didn't compensate for the fact that we lose a leap year every four hundred years. Yeah, and they they knew how to chant too. Those Gregorians. Uh huh. <laughs> But all you know right. that the reality is that these, all of this calendar math, when you start getting outside of, you know, the past couple of years, gets complicated. So it's nice that somebody's codified it also. You don't have to think about it. It really does. And by the way, in system globalization, there is also
1: Hebrew calendar, Hijiri calendar. Wow. Japanese calendar, Japanese lunisolar calendar. Ooh. Julian calendar, the Korean calendar, uh, the Persian calendar. The Taiwan calendar and Thai Buddhist calendar. Hmm Um Alkura calendar.
2: Now you're just making things up.
1: <laughs> no I'm not. <laughs> also, if we go in the other direction up the alphabet, the East Asian Lunisolar Calendar. Uh, what else do we have here? Um The Chinese lunisolar calendar and uh I think that's about all I can all I can see. That is a lot of different kinds of calendars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pretty amazing. Globalization. Look into it. Well, anyway, that's Better No Framework
2: for today. Richard, you got an email? I got an email. Okay. And this one has a subject line of thanks for putting out such great shows. Now, twice a week, the .NET community is so lucky to have you. Let me get right to the reasons for this email. First, Carl Franklin and Scott Hanselman often quote the following while saying that they don't know who to attribute it to. Most problems in computer science can be solved by another level of indirection. That's one of my favorite quotes. It's a fantastic quote. And, uh, Nathan Strug, our, our author of this email actually found the reference for awesome. this quote. I recently came across this quote in applying UML and patterns, second edition by Craig Larman. So I thought I'd clear things up. Drumroll. The authorship is attributed to David Wheeler. And there's also an interesting counter-adage. Most problems in performance can be solved by removing another layer of indirection.
1: Huh. So, wait a minute. So, if a problem can be solved by adding and a problem can be solved by
2: removing, don't the two cancel each other out? Oh, it's all very recursive. (laughs) And, of course, if you go to Wikipedia, there is an entry for David Wheeler. and, And the full quote is, any problem in computer science can be solved with another layer of indirection, but that usually will create another problem. Ah. Yeah. And another quotation attributed to David Wheeler, compatibility means deliberately repeating other people's mistakes. Interesting. We're going to have to I'm going to have to look into David Wheeler. And <laughs> Unfortunately, he uh passed away in December 2004. I was going to say
1: if he's still alive, we We're could get him, get on, him the on the show.
2: show. That would be a trick, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it would be hard.
1: Exclusive. Dot yep. Net Rocks interviews dead guy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, let me editorialize a bit on the email here. Finally, many thanks for the always enlightening DNR TV episodes. Yes. The recent Mark Miller WPF show is excellent, and I'd love to see some more with Mark on that subject in the future, or any. He's always fun and informative. Best regards, Nathan Strug. We got to get Mark to do his Speaker Idol presentation on DNR Uh, TV. Oh, absolutely. But you also have some updates to DNR TV now.
1: Yeah, we updated the site. Um We're, we're in phase one of the update and that means we have a better archives page. You no longer have that stupid archive search box, which people couldn't even find. Um, now it's just like dot net rocks. You get the whole list of archives and you can just use text search to find what you're looking for. I like that
2: previous show list. It's simple. Everything's there. You get to see how much stuff there is.
1: Right. And even if there's over a thousand shows, how long is that going to take to load? It's still. Not gonna take long, right? I'm trying to imagine recording a thousand shows. Actually. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> that that's another story altogether, but I mean just you know the amount of text is really a thousand what, a thousand lines? It's not long. Yeah, it's not, not long. A big deal. By the way, we also have data driven feeds now, which just means you know more reliable feed updates. Right. And, you know, to join the rest of our shows, which have data driven feeds. Um but the next phase is to create not only um flash and WMV like we are now. But also a link to the WMV directly without being in a zip, uh, which is long overdue. You know, we have zipped it, but you really only gain like 15%, maybe 10% compression uh, with a zip file. And also Silverlight. We're looking into doing them with Silverlight and, get this, mm. audio
2: only. Nah, Audio yeah. only. As I'm surprised how many people ask for that.
1: Well, you know, the best argument I ever heard was, I want to listen to it in the car. And then if I'm, you know, if I'm interested enough that I don't turn it off and I'm actually wanting to know what we did, uh, what they did, then I can go and watch it at work when I get to work. Right. So where's the uh, iPhone format? So the iPhone slash iPod format is something we're still looking into. Um, And honestly, it's just a matter of sitting down with Jay, my brother who does the uh, editing and encoding, and just working it out and trying to...
2: I just can't to make see how one you're going to make the f-
1: code legible on a screen. that small. I don't think so either. I don't think it's going to work, but, you know, people want it. So, you know, hey, we make one. It looks like crap. We put it out there, and then everybody <laughs> says, yeah, you were right, Carl. Okay, that didn't work. But, you know, I could be proven wrong. I don't know. Maybe, it, okay. maybe, maybe it'll work. Who knows? But we have to try it. Somehow we just I haven't done that, that. yet. <laughs> All right and uh, also uh if you're if you haven't been listening to the show lately you there you're missing an opportunity to change your life and move to New York City for a whole year live rent free in an apartment and work with a really cool bunch of guys at Infusion very cool company very creative guy Greg Brill who is the uh, sort of master of ceremonies there he is hiring people dot net people for this project that's very big and uh, needs a lot of very talented people. And uh, there you go. If you want to read more about that opportunity, it's at com slash K H six. Well, Richard, uh, it's a very exciting show because our guest is none other than the father of the Mono project. I'm talking about none other than Miguel De Acaza. Miguel De Acaza is the uh originator of the Mono project which started as a sort of a side thing and then developed into a a full-blown framework supported and bought by Novell and uh the Mono project of course if you don't know what it is, it's a, a an open source a uh, free BSD-based version of the .NET framework, and as much as they can possibly do of it, is the way we like to think about it. Welcome, Miguel.
3: Oh, Thank you, guys. Thank you.
1: Was that an accurate assessment of the Mono project?
3: It is. It is. Uh, although we like to portray Mono as a multi-platform uh, virtual machine. So we do support Linux, macOS, uh, Solaris, and all of the other platforms that uh, are not directly supported by Microsoft uh, with the .NET framework.
1: Well, Miguel, we had you on the show back when Mark Dunn was the co-host and it's been a long time. And I know you've been in the news recently. In fact, you're sort of all over the media. I guess you were in Time Magazine. When was that?
3: But that was a bunch of years ago. No, this, uh, I think this year is, uh, it's Colbert.
1: I wish I could say the same for me.
2: I, I went and looked him up in, uh, in, um, in Wikipedia, because Miguel has a real Wikipedia entry with references, and I mean, not, not just something thrown together here. And it's pretty they're extensive, lies. Miguel. Oh, they're, they're not. All lies. <laughs> they're <lies> and, uh <laughs> You were born in nineteen seventy-two. Uh, was I in Mexico City? Well, no,
3: I'm I'm just twenty-one years old. <laughs> uh, the information must be incorrect.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you've sort of been part of the scene since the very early days of .dot NET. But it, you have this sort of love-hate relationship with Microsoft, or maybe they with you. Maybe that's more like it.
3: Well, I, I don't have a hate relationship. Um, no, no,
1: no. I don't mean you. I mean, yeah. you know, you sort of, Microsoft sort of uh, you know supports you on one hand, and on the other hand, they're watching. You know, it's sort of we get the yeah, sense that so. they're watching.
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, it is a it is a difficult spot being in the Mono project because obviously the open source. Kind of the the grassroots open source people don't really like it either. Um, they kind of wish uh, Mono did not exist.
2: Yeah, you're really um, getting it from all sides, aren't you? I mean, on one side you've got Microsoft thinking, "Do we really want somebody else creating another copy of the .NET framework?" And then on the other side you've got the folks who, in theory, should be using this and taking advantage of it, saying anything from Microsoft is evil.
3: Yeah. So <laughs> actually, our user base are neither. <laughs> it's neither Microsoft or. Um, or kind of the existing open source community. Uh, we like to think of Mono as a as a way of bringing developers that would have otherwise not tried out Linux uh, to Linux, right? So it's uh, kind or of a user Macs. base, mostly Windows guys, uh, Windows developers that were considering probably having to rewrite their software or having to switch to Java or something like that. To uh, to be cross-platform, and instead, what we're giving them is a way of uh, of being cross-platform without having to uh, to rewrite their software. So, kind of our audience is not the 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 old grassroots open-source people. Although there are some of them, uh, there are some of them. Right, but it it, it makes
2: sense to me that it would be the .NET guys who suddenly realize, oh,
3: hey, wait, I did need to run on an other platform. Right. Yes. So that that would I would say it's probably the majority of our users. But like with any other open source project, it's, hard, it's actually very hard to tell how many people are using your stuff and what they're using it for. Sure. So it's it's all anecdotal. So I, I don't actually have a good feeling of uh, what is our, our user base right now.
1: Well, let's talk about the capabilities of Mono. And I guess let's start with ASP.NET. And from what I understand, the ASP.NET story is probably the best story in terms of, you know, the Windows or, or Web or, or whatever. Your ASP.NET story is really good.
3: Yeah, that is correct. That, that's the one that is at the 2.0 level. It's, uh, I mean, with the exception of a couple of things that we're still missing in in, in, in MS Core Lib or a couple of the core libraries, which are relatively minimal, uh, our .NET 2.0 story is pretty complete at this point. Uh, in fact, Mainsoft, which is a company that uh, that co-develops Mono with Novell, um they, uh, they actually just released their product for ASP.NET development, and it's all based on the Mono code base. Wow. So what we do is we basically share the same code base, and uh, we run the class libraries on top of a CLR. And these guys, what they do is that they recompile the CLR bytecodes, and um, they recompile these bytecodes into Java bytecodes. Right. Uh, if it's possible, not all .NET code can be done that way, but uh, they recompile to Java bytecodes. And basically what lo- they allow you to do is to run your ASP.NET applications inside an existing uh, JBoss infrastructure or, or J2E, uh, WebSphere, that sort of thing. Right. So, so again, it's release... another
2: solution for portability is take that existing app and, and put it into a WebSphere environment.
3: Exactly exactly, and it's typically and, and the cases where that typically happens is where developers want to use ASP.NET, net, but it the, uh, IT uh, has already decided, or whoever is running the deployment uh, strategy, uh, especially like large banks or stuff like that, right. where you don't really get to have an opinion, you, you, you're told this is what you're going to deploy on. Um, Somebody already made the choice of hardware and operating system and and, and application server and so on. So it's kind of a, an option for .NET developers to still be able to, to deploy applications on, on systems that uh, that they really couldn't have any input on.
1: Okay, so, uh, so ASP.NET is at a 2.0 level and pretty much all yeah. the functionality is there. What do you do for um providers database providers uh, are those rewritten are they available do they do they work yeah. byte for Yeah bite? they're
3: rewritten um in a couple of cases we actually we actually use third party providers like for example uh, the Postgres provider is actually built by by a guy in Brazil uh we cool. recommend people to use the MySQL provider directly from uh MySQL AB um and a couple of things like that we do have a few providers that we had to write ourselves like the like the SQL Server Provider, right, which is huh. is, is, is based in large part in, uh, is based, I think, in an early prototype of a Java-based uh, client that was able to talk to SQL Server. Okay. Um, so we had to write a couple of providers ourselves and implement the protocol that talks to a couple of databases. Uh, so I think Sybase falls in that category. The SQL Server falls in that category. We have a couple of wrappers for native um, Libraries. So, for example, if you want to talk to Oracle, you actually need to use Oracle's um, native library, and we p-invoke into Oracle's native library. And the same thing happens with IBM DB2.
2: But these are still just ADO.NET providers?
3: Yeah, they are ADO.NET providers. So to, to the end user, it looks just like an ADO.NET provider. Um, but uh, under, under, the, under the hood, in some cases, we had to reimplement the protocol, and in some other cases, we directly called the... Uh, we directly invoke a native library that does that for us. So
1: does that mean that uh, you'll be able to just take a, a .NET assembly and move it from a Windows server to a uh, to a, a Linux server, for example?
3: Yeah, that's correct. We 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 strive to have the same API as Microsoft does, and there are a couple of exceptions. And the exceptions are basically uh, we we're not finished, for example, right? Uh, but some people might want to start using Mono even before we officially declare it 2.0, right? So what we do in those cases is we have a little tool called MoMA, which stands for um, Mono Migration Analyzer. And it's a little tool that basically um, uses the equivalent of reflection to inspect your program, and it looks up whether all the calls that you make in your application are implemented in Mono. And if they're not implemented, it basically generates a report and says, well, you're using these things that do not exist in Mono yet, or you're using these things that do not have an equivalent in Unix, Right. right, Like, for example, uh, uh, well, we kind of fake a few things, but for example, if you wanted to get, uh, if you wanted to change the drive, right, well, there's no such thing as drives in Unix. You only have, you have like a global file system. Right. So, you would get a warning that says, well, this operation is not going to do anything on Unix. So, you okay. might want to re- review your code and make sure that you do the right thing. Um, and in some other cases, there are specific things like, for example, well, you really should not be hard coding path names like... The back, uh, C backs col- C uh, C colon program files uh, windows etc cetera, etc
2: cetera. Yeah as soon as you put drive letters in you're in trouble So Miguel we've talked about asp.net which I think has always been the strongest story in the mono space where are we at with winforms or with uh, the the client side of uh, of the .net framework
3: So uh, that's actually from the reports that we've been getting uh, with moma or migration analyzer tool Right I- I I believe the last time I checked it that about 70% of the apps we were getting reports for were Windows Forms applications. And um, today we have an implementation of the 1.1 API, and we're working towards 2.0. Our support, I I think we're going to have something pretty complete, maybe not not completely done, but pretty complete by November. And at that point, we'll be able to evaluate um, when we can actually call the whole Mono 2.0 ready uh, because it's kind of the last piece of the puzzle to, to say Mono 2.0 is ready. So I would say the major missing things today are the web control. We haven't really done any work there. Um, web control we, we, meaning the, the IE browser? Yeah, where you can embed IE inside your application. Well, yeah. Which a lot of people, in our MoMA reports, right now it's the top feature that we're missing um, and then, and I guess that's a lot the of, clever
2: thing about Moma—is it's actually a way to analyze other people's apps and report to you what's important.
3: That is correct. Hmm. So we have stats right now. We have stats for about a, a, so we have stats for about twenty three hundred applications. Um, we got stats for another four hundred that we had to discard because we we shipped an incorrect um binary so the stats are useless but we got 2300 good stats on that so so we're using that actually to drive the development and instead of kind of implementing mono in alphabetic order you know beginning with api with a then b then c right or any other random order uh we're actually going by popularity of or or the or how how important an api is from the number of submissions that we're getting but, Serving the, popul- the, the the populists, are you? That's right. Well, you know, I mean, not everybody needs every single API, so we're going through the most important ones. Yeah. Um,
2: well, and also not going for the people who yell the loudest either.
3: Uh. Well, we have a couple of those. I'm uh, sure you do.
2: So, that's what I was thinking you'd end up building by, by who's screaming the loudest at you.
3: So sometimes, I mean, they do get a little bit of priority because, you know, if they're if they're really loud, maybe it's because they really want to port. So I, I would say that, that when we consider an API, we consider based on, on a little bit of how important it is, or whether it's for internal use or, or a customer, a novel customer, or, or something like that. Um, well, that sort of
2: leads to the question of what have we got that's public-facing these days that's running mono that people can go look at?
3: Well, oh, there's a bunch of things. The one that I think demos the best, the one which is just unbelievably amazing, um, is a software protocol uh, Unity 3D, hmm. which is an IDE for building games, uh, 3D games. Um, the software, sadly, only runs on the Mac. The designer only runs on the Mac. But uh, you basically design your game on the Mac, um, and you can do some amazing things with this thing. Uh, you build a game on the Mac, and then... From the build menu, you can basically say, uh, "Create me executables," and it can create you a macOS 10 uh, universal binary or x86 or PPC, or it can generate a Windows binary, wow. right? That uh, will run your game. It can run. Uh, it can generate what they call—I um, forget what they call them—but they're web-based games. So it generates uh, the web page and everything to host their engine on a web page, so you can actually do. Uh, you can run the game on the web page. Um, this is actually more used by people who are doing like design firms that do like three uh, d navigation and spatial. Right. Yeah, they have a thing
2: called a unity web player, which I guess
3: is what hosts that's that's the what it is yes yes yeah. yes 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 and there's a famous uh, there's a famous fashion store that is actually using it for doing virtual tours of their of their stores, but I can't remember the name of it um, and uh, and what we're working with these guys right now is uh, you know, these guys are in the process of porting their engine to the Wii, and um, and they're also porting. And we, are, on the other hand, are are porting their engine to Linux. So basically, every game that is built with Unity will be available on all of these platforms. And uh, there's a very famous uh, publisher for the Mac for for the Mac OS in the Mac OS world that actually just switched their development to use Unity uh, for games. And I nice. think it's a, probably the nicest demo of Mono in action. Um, Wow, cool! I mean, that's probably the most visual, most wow—the one where you can script the whole game in C# Sharp or, or JavaScript or Boo or any other .NET language. I gotta ask so, you,
1: Miguel. What, yeah. you know that brings up DirectX in my mind. What's your, what's the mono relationship with DirectX?
3: We don't have any DirectX implementation, so if you're using managedirect 3 d uh, your software is not gonna run. Um, in those cases, you would have to actually replace that code with uh, OpenGL. Okay. The OpenGL and the Tau bindings for that. Um, that's Yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to emulate Direct3D. All right, so you do OpenGL. for a long time.
1: And I, I know that you're doing some things with XAML, and Silverlight I saw was in the news. Um, what's oh, the, yeah. what, tell, me, tell me the story there.
3: So that was the funniest, the, the, the most fun we've had in years, uh, to be honest. Um, what happened is, well, you know, Microsoft made this subset of WPS called Silverlight that they announced last year. And um, at the time, we felt well, it it does look interesting, but it really has no relationship to Mono because it doesn't use C Sharp. It doesn't. You can't really script that with .NET. So, so it was an interesting curiosity to us at the time. Uh, but this year, when Microsoft launched the Silverlight 1.1, it was uh, it was fascinating to us because it was basically the same engine, but this time it was bound to the to the .NET virtual machine, right? Right. So we got really excited about that and uh, a friend of mine actually asked me at the conference, um he's a journalist. He asked me, Hey, are you guys gonna be um uh, are you guys gonna be doing Silverlight? And I kind of said, Well, I think we're gonna be doing it. This looks pretty uh this looks fascinating. Um so he blogged about that and of course there was a huge flame fest about about that on the news and um because of course the Linux people hate the idea. Of but, course. Uh, but I'm pretty excited. I mean, it seems like um, I like the way... I like the fact that you can generate server-like content without requiring compilers. You can generate it just like using the print statement in PHP, you know? Uh, you just say content type is going to be uh, whatever XAML, and then you print your XAML, and, I mean, you're generating dynamically those things. So I thought it was pretty interesting. and um, And we started looking into what... It would take to implement Silverlight, but we really didn't get any work done. I mean, we were just exploring, seeing what kind of pieces we needed to put it together. And then uh, one of the guys that I met at the conference in, in Mix uh, from Microsoft France, uh, Marc Chalabert, basically said, uh, hey, why don't you come to, to France and, and you do the same talk that you did at Mix uh, on open source? I said, well, I don't really want to go all the way to Paris just to talk about open source. You know? Uh, but he mailed ah. me a couple of more times and he said, well, why don't you come and show us uh, your Silverlight implementation? And we obviously had no code done at the time.
4: <laughs>
3: but I figured, hey, that actually sounds interesting, going there and demoing uh, something uh, instead of just talking generalities about the open source model, you know, which I find at this point quite boring um, to talk about. So uh, we kind of got the team together and, and and seven of us dropped everything we were doing uh, which means I cancelled every meeting, every everything, uh, wow. just to get this done. And we worked nonstop for seven—I uh, mean, for three weeks, weekends included. I mean, every waking hour to get this thing done. And and we got it in a pretty good shape for the demonstration in Paris. And right now we're doing like things like tuning, bug fixing, you know, uh, robustifying it, uh, and getting ready to package it so people can start using it on Linux and macOS.
2: So you built an implementation. That is wow.
3: correct. In three weeks. Yes, I mean seven people. Yeah, it's. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It still needs some work, but uh, you know, it's it's possible and it's within our reach. Miguel, um,
2: you're so dangerous. It's crazy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Talk <laughs> well, about
2: you are the quintessential
1: shit disturber. If there ever was one,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll spend three weeks and screw everybody up.
1: Miguel, how much of a stretch is it to just jump to WPF? I mean, you mentioned OpenGL. Why not? Yeah.
3: So the reason why we were excited about Silverlight is because it's actually within kind of within our reach. We feel that we can do it, right? And WPF at least currently is not something that we feel we can do a good job at because it's it's probably 10 times larger than Silverlight. Wow. It is huge. Yeah, it's a lot larger um so I guess at some point we'll investigate what it takes to do that. But um, my position is basically WPF requires you to to take advantage of WPF as an app developer today. Um, you need to rewrite your software from scratch, right? Or yeah. you need to do some heavy refactoring to to start taking advantage of it. It's a very different way to tackle the UI problem. Exactly. And uh, on the other hand, what was fascinating to us about Silverlight is that it's basically an add-on to your existing product which is a ba- a web product right so you have already a website and what you do with Silverlight is you basically augment or en- enrich the experience of an existing application so it's a way of adding few- a few little touches here and there to your, to your to your to your development and maybe completely moving it to it but it's it offers you a very gradual experience um unless you already had picked things like flash right but uh I think uh, the pro- the programming model is fascinating. The tools are pretty good, and uh, and the fact that you you have the CLR down there is fascinating and it's just very powerful. So I think that it's a different, it's kind of a different market. The WPF crowd is going to have to, you know, take a big plunge, while the while the Silverlight crowd is just uh, can just take advantage of it in in a very gradual fashion. So I think that
2: the mono implementation of Silverlight here is called Moonlight. Moonlight.
3: Yes, yes, that was uh, the idea of one of my engineers. He said, "Well, no, we call it that." It's like a, sounds uh-huh. good. As in, we built this by, right? Yes. So it was our goal was the demo it in Paris on the 21st, and in fact, I was still compiling and updating, uh, and updating Moonlight for the demo as the talk was going on. Oh, uh, because it was an hour. It was like an hour thirty talk, <laughs> and I had like the last twenty minutes.
1: So yeah, you really marks. thrive on that level of danger. I mean, you, yeah. it takes a certain individual to, to do that.
3: <laughs> well, you know, it's like, oh, guys, wouldn't it be nice if we could actually show a video running inside the surface? Yeah. So one of my guys said, well, I think I can do it. And he went to do it. And then he's like, dude, the video is, is completely broken. It's not stretched properly. So he went and stretched. He's like, no, no, no. Now it's overflowing. No, you, you need to you need to crop it or you need to scale it. So... um. So I was updating the demos as, uh, and, and the runtime, uh, still wow. 20 minutes before my actual slot came in. So that was, that was intense. That was intense. That's awesome. You're crazy. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if you could
1: build a production website from scratch in just a few hours? Well, listen while I tell you about Telerik Sitefinity, a flexible development platform for construction and management of websites, community portals, intranets, and why not your personal web space? Since its customizable architecture is built entirely on the ASP.NET 2.0 framework, .NET developers can profit from various well-known goodies like master pages, membership services, the data provider model, and themes. And it's really flexible. You get this robust core, and you can customize the application your way. Anything that's not available out of the box can just be plugged in from a complex application like a CRM system to just a small widget that displays the local weather. If you're less inclined to fiddle with code, have no fear. Sitefinity 3.0 offers a full set of features straight out of the box. Workflow, content versioning and reuse, and support for multilingual sites. Thanks to the rich set of pluggable modules and components like news, blogs, polls, lists, and all sorts of things, you can jumpstart your website projects. Last but not least, Sitefinity is real eye candy. The unique Web 2.0 administrative interface helps you and the non-technical content contributors, very important, be more productive. So go to www.sitefinity.com to check out the online demo and download a trial. If I can get back to the Windows Forms implementation for a minute. Mm-hmm. The last time we talked on the show, you told me that you had an original implementation that added a layer in between the Windows API and, and the, the programming interface, and that it was you know like Java swing. It's just too slow to do without going directly to the API. So, And then you said that you were in the middle of doing another implementation that would be, I don't know, a more direct method. What? Whatever happened to that? Because I completely so lost...
3: So that's what we ended up doing. Um, so we actually had three false starts with uh, Windows Forms. And um, the three false starts had to do with um, um, a little bit with uh, the fact that we... My team was... When we began, we were very small. We are only six people. So we were not really paying attention to Windows Forms. It was something that the community built. And... Uh, And the first implementation, they tried to use GTK. So it was basically a wrapper around a Unix toolkit. And, of course, the mapping is not one-to-one.
1: You said PTK? GTK.
3: Okay. I'm sure I don't know what that is. It's like a Win32 for a Unix. I see. So the mapping was not direct. So, of course, that ended up being a disaster. Um, Then we tried, I mean, and so since we're not really paying attention to this thing, there were a bunch of mistakes made. And everyone will contribute to this effort, but it would be basically wasted effort. Yeah. Then we tried two times using Wine, which right. is Wine is a Win32 implementation. Uh, Windows for
1: emulator, right?
3: Yes. And uh, and that was incredibly hard. Uh, it was incredibly hard in two dimensions. One, it was hard to make w- uh, Wine and Mono c- uh, coexist, right, because, um, I mean... Uh, it, both of them want to manage the threads both right. of them want to be the owners of the IO system so that became increasingly complicated to, to integrate that was one piece. The other one piece was that the code that was contributed was was really done by um, it was relatively poor quality of the contributions especially in things like control which is at the core of the whole system yeah. so if control was broken everything was broken so after spending, when we decided to do Windows Forms and we tried to kind of push the wine-based solution, uh, it became obvious that the code base was n- nowhere usable, and uh, and we were getting very, very tired of, of the wine problems, the wine interactions with Mono. So we we basically gave up on, on the wine approach. It might be still possible, but uh, at this point, and I don't think anybody else is going to is going to do a new implementation. We just decided not to do it that way. Okay. So we did a fresh implementation from scratch that was architected by Novell employees, and in particular by Peter Bartok, which is now at a at a new startup. Um, and we basically did it from scratch. So a clean implementation, really? completely architected in-house, um, and uh, open source contribution with we're we're basically only allowed kind of for the higher level pieces right uh, not really for the core because we really need the core to be solid and uh, our previous three kind of our experiences with the previous three attempts of just letting people randomly kind of contribute to the core was was kind of a disaster so, so you
2: really need to take control of the
3: control classes and then above that yeah, people the can core. build on it know it's going to work yeah, the engine, you know, I mean, you can let people say, well, if you want to implement button, go ahead and do button or scroll bar or entry right. or text. But, uh, but the whole thing, like the messaging, the messaging has to be done in the proper order. You need mm. to emit the yeah. right events. I mean, and there were, and it was basically just hacked upon hacked just to get uh, things going. So,
4: hmm. I mean,
3: it, it's unfortunate that we didn't pay attention early on. To the architecture, we, I mean, it, it was kind of our mistake to not be more, um, more involved in the initial stages of implementation. Um, and which is why we, we ended up being so late with Windows Forms.
1: Well, do you think that's, um, uh, what do you think about that? I mean, you know, timing is everything and Microsoft's moving on to WPF and you guys are just coming in with Windows Forms. Do you think that is going to matter to people who, uh, who want to go cross platform? Or is it just um, the fact I that think, it's... I mean,
3: it will matter to some people. Um, I think that you, you get a couple of... I think that you can partition uh, kind of the audience. There's those that today know that they want to go cross-platform, so they know that uh, they kind of are paying attention to a roadmap, to Microsoft roadmap and our roadmap, and they know which things they can use and they can't use, right? So we're constantly talking to those people, and they say, hey, what about this? Are you going to implement this API, or can we probably contribute the API, Right. And, uh, so they can basically, they're basically in control of their destiny. Um, uh, a second kind of a new group is basically those windows developers that, uh, that all of a sudden hear about Mono and, and say, Hey, well, this would work for me. Um, and, and for, for, in that, that kind of audience is a little bit more challenging because if they already done the jump to WPF, then it means that we don't really have anything to offer them today. Yeah. Right. Um, the good news is that, I mean, WPF being a new technology and everything, it's still going to take some time for, for mass adoption of the technology. But uh... Well, true, and
1: I mean, I don't know if a cross-platform WPF is even a reality. I mean, it's so close to the bone, you know what I mean, uh, with with the DirectX stuff in there and all the direct hardware
4: but access. But
3: it's relatively hidden. I mean, uh, you don't really see it in the API Huh. We did investigate it um, just to see whether it was feasible. And the issue is really a matter of, from our perspective, it's a matter of complexity and volume uh, rather than WPF being tied um, to the Win32 API. So, I mean, our, that's kind of the problem that we're facing right now. I mean, it is doable, but it, it it's not doable with our current resources. So, um, It's just a big set of libraries it is it is just a lot of work and uh, and that's what is attractive to to us at least about silverlight is it's probably a tenth of the size of that so although we did get a prototype running in twenty one days uh bringing the prototype into into a product is probably gonna take us six to eight months right, right. to to get something completely solid that can be prepackaged, you know i mean solid tested q a documented et cetera um and uh and doing the equivalent for WPF will be a monumental task. So, uh, I mean, I wish we, one day we could do it. Uh, the question is uh, is whether whether we'll have the resources to do it.
2: Yeah. Well, besides WPF, I guess we can go off uh, after all of the other Windows Foundation groups as well. WCF has got to be interesting.
3: Yeah, that, that one we actually have implemented some pieces. Nice. Um, so we've, we've put it on hold. The only reason we put it on hold right now, and, and it does a lot of stuff right now already, uh, we don't have the full w security stack implemented, but we have a lot of it. Mm, um, nice. But uh, we put it on hold because we basically want to get 2.0 out the door. So uh, w- the main developer that was working on it uh, basically had finished with all of his 2.0 things, and he was working on, on WCF for the last, last seven or eight months. And uh, he's currently back helping us with other 2.0 things. Uh, because uh, because we're basically running kind of behind schedule, so so we put a little bit of, WCF is a little bit on on hold right now. Um, we have no plans for WW the workflow. Workflow, so, yeah. Um, in part because I don't know anything about workflow or what what it's what is it for. So, so it's hard to to actually to actually work on that. <laughs> you know, yeah. but
1: um, it doesn't you know at first thought it doesn't really seem to be a good fit anyway.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm I, just I thinking, don't even know what he does. I mean, people have explained to me, well, it's to do workflows. and. Basically, it takes business
1: logic and turns it into diagrams that business people can manipulate and draw things and change yeah. logic without recompiling.
2: But it, it's interesting to look at the .NET 3.0 suite of, of uh, libraries, and, and they very much sit on top of 2.0. They're not changing mm-hmm. the underlying. Right. Which, and you can sort of pick and choose what you want to
3: add correct and in fact I, it's funny because .NET 3.5 really is the natural evolution of 2.0 yes 3.0 is more kind of an add-on so yeah they sort of went
2: off to the left a little there and yes now exactly
3: they're moving back forward so again. the 3.5 we do in fact have a lot of stuff from 3.5 already implemented because we see it more kind of aligned with what we're doing so we do have the 3.5 things that are extensions to 2.0. Uh, none of the 3.5 things that would be extensions to 3.0. Right. So, uh, uh, for example, we already have uh, we already have a pretty much complete C sharp 3 compiler. Um, we the only piece that is missing is uh, is completing the link syntax. We have about I was half say of the that, link syntax going now.
1: I was going to say, Miguel, that must be a real challenge.
3: The well, actually, 3.0 C sharp 3.0 is actually really small. Um, it's, uh, but Link, I mean, is, Link
1: is, Link is enormously complex. Um,
3: uh, n- not really. Um, no, not really. If you compare, I mean, in terms of comparing, C Sharp 2 was a lot more complicated. Hmm. And,
4: With And, generics and 0. basically everything.
3: builds on, uh, I think there are like seven or eight little features. There were seven or eight little features that were added to 2.0, uh, hmm. to turn into the really well done and incredibly tasteful little features that enabled Link, um, but just from a program, I mean, just from a um, from a size perspective, like I think the three the 3.0 spec is like 40 pages. The actual compiler changes hmm. um, that 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 drive link or maybe maybe 60 pages. But the 2.0 stuff was like 200 and something. Is that right? because it of was,
1: generics mostly? Yeah,
3: generics was huge.
1: Yeah, I remember we had a talk about generics. I can't remember if it was on the show or off, but mm-hmm. that was pretty challenging, wasn't it?
3: Oh. It was. I mean, it took us. It took us probably three years to get it in place. Now we were lucky because we we had early access to the generics documentation from Microsoft through ECMA. So in fact, we had docs. Uh, we had specs for the compiler and docs uh, about six or seven months before the 2003 PDC. Uh, so we've been working on that ever since. And uh, and I would say that when we shipped Mono 1.2 in November, we shipped with a with a complete C# 2.0 compiler. Um, but it took us it took us three years to get everything in place. And C-Sharp 3, the features are, they're beautiful little changes to the existing um, 2.0 stuff that basically enabled Link to happen. So all the hard work was really getting the 2.0 infrastructure in place. Hmm. And then 3.0 is, a lot of it is syntactic uh, sugar or the refining of the ideas that were okay. in 2.0. And of course, the Link syntax, which is completely new, but it's... Uh, but uh, just from a from an engineering perspective, two was a lot more it was a lot more challenging than three oh.
1: So does it please you that you have better generic support than Java?
3: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I once uh, I once asked a son engineer, and don't repeat this in public.
2: <laughs>
4: okay, <laughs> so, a little late okay, for that. Yeah, we yeah. our
3: Sorry. lips are
2: sealed, Miguel. No problem.
3: <laughs> I once asked a Java a, a Sun Java engineer uh, that was working in the VM so. How did you guys? Uh, how did you guys manage to screw up the generic so badly? Um, and I guess it was not the most politically, uh, I mean, politically correct comment to make. And I don't know, but I was kind of, uh, I was kind of worked up. I don't know. We we had a run in between John you, and Mono Miguel. In those days. <laughs>
2: you were worked
3: up? Yeah, I remember I'm, I'm worked up. So I was like, oh, so guys, why did you screw it up? And and he said something <laughs> along the lines of. Uh, well, when you're not a monopoly you can't blah blah blah. I was like, what kind of technical argument is that? <laughs> really?
4: Know?
3: So anyways, I, I kinda of feel bad for making that comment in the first place. And if he's listening to this interview, I, I apologize for my rude comment. But um uh, but I think that we that the dot net has a much better um generic implementation. Yeah. And and also when it comes for example, to flash or silver light i or, or silver light i I actually like more silver light than I do flash, so there's rich a richer
1: feature set is why is that
3: uh well just because it feels uh, what I was mentioning before you can generate XaML content with a print statement you know yeah uh you can use uh, a shell script you can use p h p you can use python you can use anything can really generate uh can generate that uh, silver light content because it's basically just text right. right? And with the DLR, you can do. I mean, it's it feels more web webby. Really, Silverlight to me feels more like a web technology than Flash is. You know? Yeah. Because you can completely script Silverlight with pure text, and you can completely you know, and you can use Iron Python, or you can use uh, soon you're going to be able to use Ruby, and uh, or you can use JavaScript, and uh, and just. Well, what do you think things. of
1: what do you think of Ruby in this whole dynamic language revolution that's going on here? So what do you I
3: think guess, of this? I, I guess I fall in under the an old dog doesn't learn new tricks uh, <laughs> kind of category. So
1: You like your compiler just the way it is. Thank you very much. Is that what you yeah, saying?
3: Yeah, I kind of feel, I mean, I still write the, so here's the embarrassing thing. For all of my scripts, I still write them in Perl. Which is what I learned in nineteen diggity something, <laughs> and, uh,
4: and for anything else, I kind of uh, and I write I like and the
3: and the style that I use for Perl is write only Perl. You know, is once the script is written, there's there's nobody in the world, including me, that can make any changes to it a month later because right? it's
1: write right.
3: right. only, write Only language, right? at least the one that I produce, um, <laughs> and uh, I've been trying to get into Python, but I. You know, when I need something quick, I just end up... I mean, it's one of those, uh, you know, when you're getting old, you just end up using what you know, and I just do it in Perl. Or... Um, well, are any of the not, guys if on If the... something more structured, I use C Sharp. And I and I wish I was using Iron Python, but I just... I, I'm just too comfortable with C Sharp, so... Well,
1: is there anyone else on your team who's uh, begging to, to implement the dynamic uh, language runtime? Uh,
3: well... So, first of all, we're not going to have to implement the DLR because uh, it's funny, but Microsoft actually uh, released it under an open source friendly license, right? The MSPL. Hmm. So, we're going to be able to use, in fact, it already runs, the DLR uh, already runs on Mono. Okay. And I run Python, already runs on Mono, and we actually ship it with our distribution, with Linux distribution. And uh, when Microsoft releases Iron Ruby, we'll be able to run it as well, uh, because Iron Ruby has been announced to be also under this uh, MSPL license. The two ones that we don't have compilers for right now are the new Visual Basic language, not VB .NET, but the Silverlight VB, um, which is a new DLR-based uh, compiler and the DLR-based JavaScript. So there's a guy in France working on the on the latter. Um, the JavaScript one, but we kind of need to do, we, we need to sort out what we're going to do with uh, VB.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I I figured that might be a, a problem, you know, with uh, trademarks and things like that. Do you do you ever consider just renaming it? Uh, VB? Yeah.
3: Um, I don't know. Mono Monobasic? Make, make oh, it well, binary compatible? I mean, it's called oh, Basic, it but uh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I think it's called V uh, or something like. I I don't even write it, but um, <laughs> or or VCB or something yeah. like that or uh, VB VBNC I think it's called VB. So um, why are you trying to figure out what to do with it? Oh, because when you for a full SilverLine implementation, remember that the server can send you uh, text code. They can send you a Visual Basic script, right? You know, just text. So we need to compile that text on the browser, right? and execute it. Yeah. So we're gonna need a compiler for VB that runs inside the browser. I see. We do have one today, but the question is whether we can reuse that or we need to write a new one that, that targets the DLR instead of just uh direct reflection emit. I see.
1: Well most or what about dynamic JavaScript? Are most are most people gonna use that instead?
3: Yeah, so that's a that so that's the one that uh, that's the one that uh, Olivier Dufour is uh, working on. Um uh, I just had dinner with him last week in Paris. Um and he's pretty excited about that. So so that one we, we, we took care of. Now we need to figure out what we're going to do about VV.
1: Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, Give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Datadynamics.
2: Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. You know what's interesting to me about all of this is that we're seeing these cross-platform implementations of the CLR now. I almost wonder if this is ultimately a threat to Mono that if Microsoft's headed down this path where more of their framework Mm -hmm. is running on other platforms, what does that mean to you ultimately?
3: Well, I'll be happy. I'll have, I'll be a happy camper. Um, you know, I'm, uh, cause um, you'll be right. Well, (laughs) you know, it's uh, it's been a fantastic ride. It's been incredibly fun. So, um, so like we say in Mexico, uh, when you die, they won't take away the fact that you dance so much. So, uh, they won't take that away from us.
1: Um, you know I, I have yet to go to Mexico for a day of the dead celebration Somebody somebody w- my family wants me to go. You should you I, should. I hear it's pretty awesome. It is it is just to so, totally change the subject.
3: Okay, what were we talking about now?
1: Oh uh,
2: we're talking um, about the death of mono.
3: yeah I don't I mean I don't know. Uh, it's possible that Microsoft will one day support all of the Linux variants and platforms that we support. And then it will be uh, the end of it. So um, how, uh, how
1: how many times a week does Don Box call you and ask uh, you to come to work? We actually
3: haven't talked in a long time. I kind of miss Don Box. You think he's uh, given up on you? Well, I think that the, I mean, he's now gone into this XML kind of web service world. Right. And um, I'm not very much of an XML web service world person. Yeah, and um, so we he don't still really... wants you to work
1: for
2: Microsoft, though, right?
3: I miss him. I wish he was back in kind of C# <laughs> things or WPFy things.
2: Yeah, you just want him to sing to you again. That's that's all. all.
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm happy at Novell now. I'm happy yeah. at Novell. So it's a uh, it's a good hack to be here.
1: That's cool. So so what's next for Mono? I mean, we talked a little bit about what you sort of are thinking about, but what, what do you think the next big thing is?
3: oh um, well we obviously want to complete we want to complete silverlight. We're actually using Silverlight beyond uh, what it was designed to do to be used. Wow, so we actually took it out of the web browser and we're we're building uh desktop applications with it we're We're kind of doing two things uh spicing up our existing desktop apps right like the photo management app and the media app and a bunch of other apps um because we can now host basically silverlight in any app right. So we're doing a little bit of that, and that's incredibly fun. Um, in fact, this week at Novell is called Hack Week. And during Hack Week, everybody in the company, well, everybody in the Linux organization gets to do whatever they want uh, for work. Wow. So, so there's a lot of experimentation. You should check out our website. We have videos of what people are doing, and it's amazing. It's called org. Okay. And, um, and everybody's doing some crazy hack. Did you say right? OpenSUSE? So, yeah idea.opensuse.org
2: SOUSA uh,
3: O-P-E-N-S-U-S-E. yeah that's uh
2: SUSE being linux
3: or being novell's implementation of linux okay that's right that's right so it's um so people have been doing all kinds of things and a bunch of them are using uh moonlight for their projects and one of the interesting hacks that uh, that happened this week is we uh we actually turned Moonlight into an engine that can run uh kind of like uh like macOS uh widgets, you know, those little transparent things that can run on your desktop. Yeah. Or right. like the Yahoo widgets or Google gadgets or Vista I don't know what they're calling Vista um gadgets I think too. Yep. So they have all kinds of little transparent things with animations doing uh uh, crazy stuff. So we've been actually teaching Zamel. Uh, I mean, it's funny. We just finished this last week, and we've been teaching uh, XAML now this week to a bunch of uh, Linux engineers to to do their animations and try to do cute little things on the desktop. So, so I guess what's on the on the on the on the roadmap is uh, we'll continue to have a lot of fun. That's for sure. We'll finish up Mono 2.0. We'll finish up Silverlight. Um, we'll finish up 3.5, and then. We gotta decide if we even want to embark on WPF or not, um, which I think is a decision that we're gonna have to make uh a year from now. Or, or you know, eight the eight other technology
2: that's sort of around this, and you've already mentioned mm-hmm. it a couple of times, is where the DLR lives for from the mono perspective. Part of me thinks you ought to be using the DLR, and part of me thinks you guys ought to write your own implementation of it.
3: Um, yeah, well, but considering that it's open source, that the DLR is open source, right. I might as well just use the original one. Use the one that's there. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, somebody could write it, but I'm I'm kind of more interested. I mean, Mono is, a, to me, Mono was always a means to an end, you know, uh, getting yeah. better applications of Linux. That was the original intent. Right. And this is about kind cross-platform. Into, and that has kind of morphed into uh, not only getting better applications, but also assist Windows developers uh, in having... Uh, Uh, In bringing applications to other platforms, right? Right. So that's kind of our combined goal today. And, um.
1: You know, something that occurs to me is that one of the benefits of using mono, uh, you can either be a benefit or a boon or or an impediment, depending on how you look at it. But I think it's a benefit that it, you know, it doesn't have to out-innovate itself every few years. Like Microsoft has to do with technologies. You can get it to where it works and then basically stick with it. And for a lot of applications, you know, that that's right on the money.
3: Yeah, like for example, Unity Unity doesn't actually use the majority of Microsoft APIs. Uh Unity actually sticks with a, with the ECMA core. In fact they don't even use the whole ECMA chunk. They use a very small subset because they need to keep the download small and, and, and they actually what they need is their own APIs for doing three D graphics. So uh so I think that's a good example, for example. Um uh, Mono has a lot of value. The fact that you have a CLR and that can be embedded, that can be used in other scenarios, is incredibly valuable. If we have APIs that are compatible with Microsoft, that's always a plus. But it's it's today being used in in a lot of really interesting conditions that are not uh, that are not um, what .NET is is typically aimed to do. Uh, like we recently licensed it to uh, to. To a game company, and we 'll be able to talk about the game next year, but a very popular uh, game is being built right now with mono as its scripting engine, and they don 't use much more than the vm and the and the core class libraries for doing this and and the security system that we 're implementing yeah. um, uh, or for example, the m p three players are now being built using mono as well for the ui that 's cool so so I mean I think that there's a lot of value just in doing a good job at providing a solid VM that people can use on multiple platforms, even if, if they don't even use Microsoft APIs. So, I mean, that makes me happy, and uh, we'll see what we'll do next.
1: All right, a couple more questions. One, do you have a, do you have a Mac? I do, yes. What kind? Which one?
3: Uh, I have a PowerPC. Um, I have a PowerPC. Um, I don't know what the model is. It's, uh, it's a tower. Um, a couple of years old. We used, old for Mac, doing, then. we used it only for doing the port. I actually, I mean, I don't actually use a Mac on a day-to-day basis. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the, in fact, it's, it's right now shut down. I have to turn it on. Um, I also have a, a Mac Mini that we used to take on shows, but uh, mm-hmm. I sent that to my build guy. And uh, now I have a laptop that I use for showing Unity. Um, and, again, I don't I don't really use a Mac on a day-to-day basis, but, um, so do, but I do have Macs.
1: So WinForms 1.1 works great on a Mac?
3: Uh, it does, but you have to use X Windows in the Mac. We don't have a native Mac OS driver. Oh. Yeah. yeah interesting solution. Interesting. Yeah. You, I mean, it's something that we want to fix. It's just we haven't had the time to, to look into that. And kind of uh, okay. kind of our number one objective is Linux, not the Mac OS. So.
1: And the second question is, do you have a Vista machine?
3: I do, I do. And and that one is turned on, and that I do use.
1: (laughs) What do you think of Vista? uh,
3: Well, so I'm I'm kind of... um, I I don't have a... So I use Windows for the documentation, for running Blend, for running Visual Studio. And for all of that, it just works wonders. So I don't have... um, I don't really know what what people typically use them for or where people are complaining or or not liking about either XP or, or Vista. I mean, I just use it for for some very, very limited uses.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, my XP is probably the one that gets the most use uh, because it's where I install Rhapsody, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I listen to Rhapsody all day. Yeah. So so that's <laughs> have the you, only reason. Have and you I'm not, I don't have it on the Vista machine because the Vista machine that I got here next to me um, doesn't have speakers. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I, it doesn't even have the audio card, so I can't hook it up, so... Uh, it doesn't matter. The sound drivers wouldn't work anyway. Uh, well, it's low, one of those low. machines that Intel gave us—it's a really, really, incredibly, insanely fast machine uh, that we got from Intel. But uh, but it doesn't come with some goodies like uh, like audio. So. so
1: you haven't had the chance to dive into some of the lower level Vista APIs and things and see what they did differently no. in that os um.
3: no i i use it for running Blend because it it it, it looks yeah. good it runs and uh, and i use it to read documentation and okay. run visual studio that's it
2: oh very good so have you looked at this barrel versus vista comparison uh no i haven't is it good okay. well if the videos are impressive but it's some other flavor of linux
3: oh uh oh you mean barrel yeah, Beryl. Oh, yeah, it was. Well, Beryl was basically, we developed a thing called Compass, and then for a while it was forged into a project called Barrel, which was basically a bunch of plugins for Compass. And they finally merged together. Now it's called uh, Compass Fusion. Um, and basically, it, it, the projects got unified into a new system, and it's unbelievable. Um, I mean, I think that effect-wise and bling-wise, um, Vista is not, at least the Vista as it comes, at least the release Vista, I don't know if SP1 is better, but the release Vista doesn't do as many interesting effects for the end user as, uh, as Compus can do today.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the barrel UI on Ubuntu is just so cool to look is at.
1: Is that the, the one Windows... that rotates, the whole screen rotates in a cube? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's the
3: old version. If you, the new version does, I mean, they do, like, mirroring stuff, and they, the cube is... Um, the cube was kind of very rough in the past, and now, and now they have all these... I mean, they they just done, done some tiny little adjustments. So the cube actually pops out a little bit when it rotates. The applications <laughs> pop out a little bit, and kind of the cube is submerged a little bit. So
2: I just I, the, the effect that really got me was grabbing the, the menu bar, the top bar on the window. When you moved it, the window sort of wagged.
3: Oh, yeah, and the wobbly effect. That sort of elasticity. Yes, yes, yes yeah, in fact, I can't live without the wobbling uh, windows now. Uh, in fact, when I use a machine that doesn't wobble, I feel like I'm using a cell phone. Right? like if it doesn't wobble, well, that's not really a computer. It's a cell phone that just kind of drew a frame there.
1: By the way, I've Shrinksterized that URL to that video at com slash QBI. One other thing, which is the developer experience of Mono. I know we haven't talked about that yet this time, but what is – do? You, do you typically use Visual Studio on a Windows machine and then take the assemblies and deploy them? Or do you encourage, uh, you know, doing everything on a, on a Linux machine? And what's the so developer experience like?
3: It's a combination because we've had, I mean, we don't have one kind of um, uh, strand of the, I mean, strand? Is that a word? Um
1: Strain, maybe, I think?
3: Yeah, we don't have a common strain of developers. We have a bunch of different uh, uh, people with different backgrounds. So the hardcore people, like uh, people in my team, they still use VI and Emacs to do all of their work. uh, And they're happy with that. The people that are coming from Windows, uh, we advise them to use Visual Studio if they're used to that and keep compiling and basically just running the resulting uh, website or the resulting Windows Forms application in, uh, in Linux or using a VMware session or, or sharing a, the file system with, uh, with sif, right? So you basically yeah. mount the remote system and you drag and drop your files. Or you tell Visual Studio, deploy the files in this directory, which happens to be the remote Linux machine. Right. So that's, that's what we do for those guys. But uh, we're working right now on an IDE for, lin- for Monocle, MonoDevelop. Um, which was based off the Sharp-developed code base. Right. And uh, and it's pretty advanced today, although its focus is mostly for our own native APIs. Um, uh, as I was mentioning, we kind of we have a very good binding to our, the Linux-native uh, desktop APIs, so we encourage people to use those instead of Windows Forms if they're trying to build a native Linux app. Um so that ID is very much focused today on that. Uh, we're working on Windows Form support, but it's not there yet, and I don't think it's gonna be there for another six or nine months. Now so did I
2: hear you correctly, Miguel? You're recommending a non-portable no, Windows solution portable. on Linux?
3: It is completely portable.
2: Oh okay, so you have a Windows implementation
3: of it as well. Yes, of course. And in fact there's a company called MetSphere that sells that actually started development on Linux with GTK Sharp. And, uh, and then they started selling it to, it was originally going to be a Linux only product. And then they started selling it to customers on Windows. And, and they're in fact the maintainers of the packages for, for, for Windows of GTK Sharp. But it's completely portable and even works on the Mac. So it's, so it's Mac, been easier for Linux. you to
2: build your own form solution that's completely cross platform than to implement exactly. Microsoft's non portable yes. one into a portable form. Exactly. Huh.
3: And, and and it's kind of like, it's our native API. So we're more familiar with that. And we have a lot of expertise here in the company and the community and so on. So um, so we're improving that one. And in fact, we recently hired, although the team is right now being led by a fantastic developer called Luis uh, Sanchez in Barcelona. Uh, recently, we had the honor of hiring uh, Mike Kruger, who is the creator of Sharp Develop. So he joined the team to help us improve Mono Develop and get the mono MonoDevelop to 1.0 and 2.0 and 3.0 stages, so it's um, so it's it's very interesting.
2: And we had Christoph Wiel uh, on uh, the show just a, a few weeks ago talking oh. about Sharp Development. Yep. All right. Well, and so, he mentioned the fact that you were there was an incarnation
3: called mono develop. Nice. Yep. Yep. And now we hired the the, the founder of the project, uh, Mike Kruger. So uh, so that's great. It's very exciting. Yep. So I think we're going to have a good, I mean, we're going to have a very good experience. I think Sharp Develop is a fantastic product, and, and we just hope that we we can make of Mono Develop something as good as, as Sharp Develop is on Windows, but for Linux.
1: All right, man. Well, uh, when do you plan on going on vacation, or is that just a silly question? Uh, September, September. I think I'm going to go September and October. I'm gone. Oh, where are you so. going? <laughs>
3: Um, I'm, I'm, we're still debating, but there's An probably be some, Spain, some Paris, some Egypt, and some Morocco. Oh, And cool. maybe some nice. Lebanon. Oh, so, cool. yeah. Sounds good. So, so I, I want to practice my Arabic. I've been learning for the last year Arabic, so so I'll give it a shot.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, Miguel, anything you want to say here at the end of the show? Shout-outs or hi, Mom, or anything like that? Or
3: No, my no, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> hi, Mom. No, I'm kidding. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity, guys, and hope to talk to you uh, when we have something fresh and new and exciting to talk about.
1: Uh, you bet. All right. All right, and we'll see you next time on .Net Rocks.